So where I grew up, I grew up in the inner city um, of Los Angeles, South Central L.A. Um, right now we're watching racial uprising. And because of the, you know, social injustices, the racial injustices, um, that's what I consider it to be. I know everyone doesn't agree, but let's just say the mayhem that's happening, right? I grew up in an era where it happened prior to because of the Rodney King uh, situation, which was interesting. It's the same hey, exact I'm kind of, I'm Jason um, Lobig. Welcome to the Live Better Podcast. Best day ever. We are coaches, trainers, retreat leaders, and wellness advisors, but didn't start our careers doing this. Jason worked in public accounting, and I worked in corporate retail until starting our dream business in which we help people from all different industries pursue their best day ever every single day. The goal of this podcast is to interview both each other and other professionals making an impact on the world on how wellness is the fuel to do whatever it is in life you want to do better. This podcast is about teaching people to actively pursue their purpose and how to use self-care to do it. We're here to show you how the best day of our mindset is available to anyone at any time, no matter your circumstance. It's your choice and we're here to encourage you. You can find it anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and even YouTube. You can also listen to our podcast on www.livebetterco.org. Have the best day ever. Live Better Podcast. We are back with Tico Nejan Wilson, and we were just chatting before this about interesting, cool names. My name is Brett with one T, with Jason <laughs> hates cool. me for it because he thinks that it should be spelled with two. So Tico, you know, I get it that yours might be a little different because you're probably getting all sorts of crazy pronunciations, but I get two T's put on the end of all my Bretts and I get a CK at the last of my, last uh, few letters of my name. So hell, I'm with you, but, um, you know, uniqueness is a good thing. So wait, Brett, I have to tell you, my son, who we were talking about with the base, his name is Brett, yeah. B-R-E-C-K. And he often Ooh, is oh, I like called, that. His, he often is called Brett and he, he corrects them. He's been correcting them since he could talk. He's like, no, it's Brett. People say it right, but then they, they spell it wrong and then my taxes get messed up. It's and- a lifetime of inconvenience for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jason just hates on it, but... Uh, uh, but yeah, that, I mean, it, you know, I think, you know, one thing is that uniqueness is super important and you were, you were kind of mentioned before we chatted that, you know, growing up, it wasn't, it wasn't the best thing to have a, a, an interesting thing. name, but now you're, now you're embracing it and you've come to it with maturity. And I think, you know, your work, the, what you stand for and, you know, building better people is a lot to do with that. I think one of the things we, yep. we talk about a lot with people is understanding where they came from. Um, and it might not be your you know, it might not necessarily be your family or where you were born in the world, but it's also like, you know, what you were called or what your name is. And, you know, there's a lot that stems from those things going back to being a kid. Um, people get picked on because they have a, a weird name. It's just like, wow, that's crazy. And then there's so many other reasons why. And so I think, you know, embracing who we are, who we've come from and where we are because of those things is just super important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree. So one of the, you know, I think there's a lot of really cool things that you do um, and that you're you're working on and there's just so many cool things. I just want to start with kind of your mission statement of building better people. Can you explain what that means and how you do that? 
Yeah. So because I work primarily in corporate training uh, companies, big and small, um, I've recently uh, have included um, influencers who have, you know, large following. Uh, So mega influencers to my books, if you will. Um, The Building Better People came about because prior to just focusing on um, corporate and business organ, I mean, education, I did a lot of branding and marketing. I actually had a branding company first. And what I recognize is everyone cared about a better product. And I'm always like, well, if you build a better person, you'll get a better product. If we build better people, we'll get, you know, better products. And so, um, and better productivity and better outcomes and better cultures inside the walls and outside the walls and better customer buy-in. And so I really got stagnant in the end result if you will, that everyone else had in mind, because in my mind, I'm like, no, we're going in here. We're going to change the world by changing the people. And, um, and so it just, it, it just became an aha moment for me. Like you really don't care what they're making or what they're selling or what's at the end of it. You care about the people who's going to be putting out that um, product and the expectation who's carrying the expectation. So that's where it came from. It's just when I shifted to just only solely doing, uh, and I continue to say only doing because in even to work with me before you had to work with strategy and education, that's just my, that's, that's me. That's who I am an educator. Um, and so when I decided to make that shift, I said, it's simple. I just wanted to be about building better people. And that's where I came. That's where it came from. <laughs> I stuck with it and I don't think I'll ever let it go. I love that your mission is about people first and making sure that that mission, I, I think, which very much much aligns with ours is that taking care of and managing how you respond to the things around you, I think then influences the broader group that you spend more time in, which influences the community that that broader group spends time in, which influences when you're talking about from a corporate perspective, like a very, very public message. Yes. So if you can get into change one person in that group, then they more broadly affect community. And then that more broadly affects city, state, country, you know, a, a potentially a global mission for some of these companies. I was reading through um, just actually the last Instagram post that you made. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have a extremely volatile upbringing mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and, and, what many people would consider uh, an extremely challenging life in many respects. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about, I'm sure we could talk about this for a month straight, hey. but can you talk <laughs> about how some of that, maybe we'll just go for a full month, how right. some of those things maybe in, in maybe pick out an individual event or maybe just talk about kind of the whole collective, how that has influenced your kind of personal responsibility for your mindset. Because yeah, I think absolutely. absolutely. You provide the most unique perspective on this right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so one of the things that I think is so important is depending on how you grew up or where you grew up, some things were considered normal, right? And so where I lived and how I lived and what was expo- what I was exposed to was not considered volatile. I didn't know it was until I became an adult, right? And so what I recognize, and this is for anybody's upbringing. So for me, we'll go through some of the things I experienced. 
and that was just considered life. But if you grew up in an abusive rela- um, home where, say, parents fought all the time, or if you grew up in um, a system where, you, 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 whatever it is, what usually happens is normal, even if it's dysfunctional, becomes a norm, right? And so you don't see it daily as being against are out of the norm. You don't see it as being something that shouldn't be happening um, if it's normal. So where I grew up, I grew up in the inner city um, of Los Angeles, South Central LA. Um, right now we're watching racial uprising and because of the you know social injustices, the racial injustices, um, that's what I consider it to be. I know everyone doesn't agree, but let's just say the mayhem that's happening, right? I grew up in an era where it happened prior to because of the Rodney King uh, situation, which was interesting. It's the same exact kind of, um, you know, push, if you will. But I grew up in that time and it was my neighborhood that was on fire. But outside of that, just like everyday life was a, a particular way is what I call it. I grew up in a particular way. So struggle was not uncommon. My mom was a single mom um, of three kids. Um, one of my baby brothers, he was murdered eight years ago. I'm 44. So I, mur- I mean, I buried him, you know, set about eight years ago, but I was the middle child. My dad wasn't around, but that was like common in the neighborhood that I grew up in, in the schools that I attended. Um, absent fathers was not put it like this, you were probably considered special if your dad was around, you know, but it wasn't like it was uncommon um, for fathers to not be around, uh, not in my neighborhood. Now, that doesn't mean because in every culture, there's subcultures, right? And so there's there's the Black experience, there's the Black culture, and then there's subcultures inside of that. And so the culture I grew up in, those things were just normal. Um, I shared in that post that I didn't know it, but catty corner to my home. So I lived in an apartment building. I grew up in an apartment building, which is probably why I'm not just this big pet lover, but all that boils down into kind of what you're saying, like the way you grow up, right? Like I'm just, when I see people treat their dogs like uh, people, I'm always like, really? Um, But I didn't grow up with pets. I grew up in an apartment and catty corner to our apartment was this house. And I kid you not, as a kid, I always thought they had a lot of company. <laughs> like they have a lot of company every day, all day, morning to night. And I didn't realize it was a drug house. It was a crack house. It was it was a house that people went in, I guess, purchased drugs, got high. I never saw it um, happening in real time. But as I became older and a teenager, because I lived there from birth to, I think, 19. I went away to school, um, to college, but I didn't move away. Even though I lived on campus, I didn't move away from there until 19, um, officially. So just seeing that kind of thing was, was a norm, but I tell you, I think I survived it. If that's a way to put it, if it ever was, I know it's survival now because I look back and I see how many people didn't make it out. Like that norm became what they practiced in their own chance at living. Um, and, and for me, I was just like, no, I don't want that. (laughs) Like this doesn't, that's not what I want. Like I want a family. I want my kids to have their dad around and in the house. Um, I want, I want to be successful. I want college. I want degrees. I want, you know, I want, you know, um, (laughs) as I say that, it's weird to me hearing myself say that I think I had just decided as a kid, I want. And in those situations, sometimes people don't know how to want, right? And other people call it dreaming. 
I don't think a lot of people, when you come from a certain um, way, know how to dream. You're not given opportunities to say, hey, I want to think bigger than this. So from a kid, I was just like, yeah, I, I want, I want something different. I want more. I want, I want to try this. I want to see what happens if this doesn't happen. Um, and then that, I think, I, as my friends describe it, I've always been this being. So emotional intelligence just happens to be the label. I was able to put on who I am as a person. Um, I always believe that people had better in them if it was just exposed that there were options at being better. Does that make sense? And I don't know if that answers your question, but that's, that's, that's how I sum up um, the growing up part of my life, like being in it. And if nothing else, the takeaway for me would be just because it's normal doesn't mean it's functional. Like we normalize dysfunction in so many ways. I mean, a good, bad, uh, we just normalize things. That, and, and so it just becomes habit, if you will, to live, to think, to operate, to, um, to interchange with other people or interact with other people. We just make these things habitual without ever questioning, is there a different way? And is there a better way? Which also feeds into the better people thing. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're doing it right now. And people are yeah. having a very hard time with yeah. what is now trying to normalize not being able to hug other people and not having yes. a great social outlet. And it's like, you know, I think uh, a lot of, I feel like we have a lot of black friends who are kind of just like standing there with their eyebrows raised, like, Hey, this is what we've been saying, like a different context, yeah, but like we've been, we've been telling trying you for a long time yeah. for a long damn time. Yeah, I, yeah. I have so many, so many questions for you. The first yes. one we, um, Brett and I pulled a concept, funny enough, from the um, clinical administration of psychedelic medicine. There is okay. a concept in what is now like, I mean, um, MDMA and psilocybin are being used in like um, clinical trials now to treat like PTSD and some uh, treatment resistant depression. And the way that they administer these drugs, there's a concept called set and setting which makes perfect sense if you've ever like wanted to get drunk or <laughs> been like stoned or anything before, yeah. like the mm -hmm. way that the, the, the setting in which you are in absolutely influences the mindset of the person that is um, taking the drug and the mm -hmm. mindset of the person going into each environment also influences the way that that environment plays back on them. And we sort of swapped out psychedelic drugs for life mm -hmm. and it's very, like um, poignant topic to talk about how does your environment influence your mindset and then how yes. can you use a stronger mindset to go back in and influence the environment. So sort of like with that context, um, I have a question for you and, mm -hmm. and I would love to hear maybe some, some different ways. These are fairly big questions, so please mm -hmm. answer them however you would like, but how do we get more people out of environments where chaos and volatility is normal or mm -hmm. how do we go back in and actually physically change that environment because i think it is a dangerous context to draw lines around quote unquote bad neighborhoods mm -hmm. and ignore those and only put resources into good ones um or is the answer influencing the mindset of kids in that environment like that is not the environment that i grew up in and yeah. brett and i are now very actively trying to go into west and south side 
CPS, Chicago Public Schools, to teach yeah, yoga and yeah. meditation and fitness to kids. And, and we have been trying to hold space for kids to dream. Like a lot mm-hmm. of our meditations are around opening up imagination and asking them to think bigger and tap into their body and doing all these things. But, you know, we're only there for such a limited period of time. Mm-hmm. And so how do we go back in, not we, collective we, how do we go back into those environments and, and influence the mindset of those kids younger? How do we pull people out of the environments that are going to be tougher to change? And then how do we just, you know, in the end, actually change how we administer health to those subcultures and, and broader, like larger you know, geographical locations. Yeah, I love that question. And I feel like it's like a um, hodgepodge and like this um, buffet table, if you will, of answers. So I'll tell you two that stand out. (laughs) Yeah, I'll tell you two that stand out for me. But really quickly about my background, it's interesting because my undergrad was sociology. And of course, a lot of people couldn't understand that I'm actually contemplating doing my doctorates and that I have my master's in education because I do enjoy creating uh, creating curriculum and teaching. Um, But I'm thinking about social going further and it's for the very reason you just described for that set as you described that concept of set what was it called set set and setting Yes, set and setting. I mean, it's it's very it's very descriptive of what sociology really is and it's so how the social impacts um, actually alter, change, and build who we are. Um, and based on, so of course there's psychology, right? And a lot of that is genetic makeup and those sorts of things. But then there's also sociology, which means the things that are happening externally from us, that how they impact who we are. Um, and it's interesting too, because I'm in a marriage where we come from two different worlds. My husband's a white guy. I'm a black woman. I'm black, black. He's white, white. Like neither one of us try to do the, you know, <laughs> hey, I, I'm so, I'm too cool for school. He's not trying to do that. And I'm not trying to change who I am to fit in anywhere. So uh, we we live this healthy life of you be who you're going to be and I'm going to be who I'm going to be. And we're going to bring the best of those worlds together. And then we're raising these two kids who one identifies as black. The other one says, hey, I'm black and white and don't try to change it. And we're good with that. So I thought I'd throw that in there about the sociology piece and how, you know, it's just who we are. It's, it's, it's a lot of the impact part. And so that's set and setting is so true. Now, when it comes to how do we fix, if you will, how do we provide solutions to um, these neighborhoods and these places that exist? I believe it starts from the top down, right? But because we can't really make top do anything, because here's what I find um, very interesting and interesting is a loose word for um, change. I really wish I could change that for bullshit, but (laughs) what I find, (laughs) what I find interesting or full of shit is that we continue to put these things on ballots. Um, we continue to create programs. Um, we continue to find funding through nonprofits to go back and make change, right? But the same neighborhoods continue to be um, to, to die from the same exact causes. Like the causes haven't changed. Drug, violence, like th- it hasn't changed. So I find something wrong with it. Um, so I wish I had this answer. I could say, you know what, let's just scrap it all and start over. But if I had my way, if I had my druthers, what I would say is we've had so many programs for children and we see that sometimes it doesn't stick, but I believe it's because we've yet to create enough resources for parents 
because what happens is everything is like this trickle down effect, right? So I always say, I have this theory I'm working on that you either gravitate or deviate from what you know. And so if I decide to gravitate towards what I know, then I'm going to repeat the same exact things I've seen and probably at a a more um, exacerbated scale, like at this greater scale, will I repeat what I know? So one, I think that we have to go in and, and then the other part is if I deviate from that, then it's like, hey, I now say I don't want it. But you got to remember, I'm still working from the same premise that what I'm working from hasn't changed. So oftentimes we go in and we think we can change a child's mind or introduce them to something without changing that core source if you will. So the core source stays the same. And now this child has to choose to either gravitate or deviate from it. Well, when do we go in to start really changing the core source? And so I feel like parenting classes, but not just the typical parenting classes. I feel like a lot of stuff is me, 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 me. Um, and with the me, 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 whether it's therapy and I believe in therapy, but one of the reasons I like the practice that I do is because I'm talking about the me and then the me in terms of, or in relation to the you. And so I feel like we miss the boat by not connecting whoever it is we're working in, in the interest of or for to the people they're going to then have to interact with. I hope that's not crazy sounding like it. I feel like I just like jumbled it, but it it really is saying, hey, if I'm going to help this kid, I now have to make sure that this kid has the uh, the the tools needed to interact with the people he's going to interact with when I'm gone. So I feel like that's parents. I feel like a lot of these kids are in systems. So that systems, we have to overhaul the foster care systems, um, the kinship programs, like anything that makes a child uh, a ward of the court. We need to go in and we really need to look at the structures of most of those. And let's face it, a lot of them are driven by money. So if the goal is to get a check from being a foster parent, then my goal is not to keep up with the great guys who came in and did yoga with the kids. So I feel like the system of who's surrounding the children who will become that next generation in that neighborhood has to somehow be touched, penetrated, um, looked at, examined, reviewed, overhauled and called on their bullshit. So that's the one answer. And then the second thing that I would say is to add to pull, put on your plate at this big old potluck is, um, is to really start tapping into. So here's what I recognize. A lot of great, um, intending people like yourselves are able to pull from practices and tools that for you seem like, Hey, this makes sense. So it makes sense to say, let's do yoga. Um, or let's do meditation, or uh, let's change our eating habits. Because what you, again, that, that core thing that you come from didn't, didn't, didn't disturb your peace, if that makes sense. Like it didn't cause this way of thinking that was so convoluted and so toxic that you now have to undo it. So what happens is what should be an easy practice to implement or an easy tool to use feels very far-fetched for the normal person in that situation. Not the normal person overall, but we got to remember there's a gazillion norms. So you go into a neighborhood and you offer up a practice that's not considered normal. You're now telling this person pretty much, hey, figure out how to jump out of a plane 
pull your parachute and eat a burger at the same time. Like it might sound that, that weird to say, um, practice meditation. So I think what we have to do is introduce people to the tools that we have innately inside of us. There's some tools that exist. So say, for instance, when we talk about self-care, you mentioned self-care and I know that's what you're for and I'm for and I'm, I'm all for self-care. But I think there's tools that we skip over, forgetting that there's people who really, really suffer. They don't know that they have these tools inside of them. So one self-care tool to me is walk slower as opposed to always being in a hurry. Um, so if I'm going from, say, my, my office to my car, then slow down and try not to think about where I'm headed next. Just think, be in the moment. Um, Chew your food slower. That to me is just this thing we have. And then it goes on and on to where we have all these tools on the inside. Like patience is a tool that we have on the inside. Like I really don't need a timer to tell me to, to think before I speak. And so I just think that what can happen is we can go into the neighborhood and really start tapping into these innate survival mechanisms that we were built with and start exposing people to that. So I know what meditation is, but when we start using that word, it's like a foreign language in a place where everything is struggle and everything is, okay, figure it out. And everything is last minute. It just sounds foreign. So it's hard to get the bulk of people to believe or to say that. But if you say, hey, it's important that everyone sits down at the same time and try to have dinner together. That to me is a form of self-care and it's a form of being in tune to your environment. That's so easy to implement right then and there. I love that you walked backwards from going beyond the self-care because that's the the biggest part of our business is, is kind of doing exactly that. You, you sort of, um, lit up a light bulb in my head when you were talking about psychology and sociology, my mind just went straight to individual versus collective. When we run retreats, when we do things at live better, Brett and I entered the health and wellness world through training, but we knew that it didn't stop there, that there was this whole other big puzzle piece that you have to solve. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing that we're always hopeful of is that some type of physical movement is the facilitator to being able to practice mindfulness mm-hmm. and then that awareness. Yes. Be able to be mindful, to walk slower because your stress is down, because you are not rushing to something or not scared of something else that's in your environment, mm-hmm. then allows you to be mindful about not only the way that you feel, but the way you feel in context to other people. And mm-hmm. then on top of that, the, the kicker to boot is getting the community involved so that you understand how your actions can affect other people and yes. how those people affect you. Yes. And the individual collective growth or the individual growth in terms of having a strong collective around you, mm-hmm. I feel like is the big movement for change. And that's why we use training as an introduction to saying, hey, now that you feel good, Mm-hmm. How does this tool fit into the rest of your life? And then what are you actually doing for impact? And the retreats that we run, that's really what we're trying to do is use movement as a facilitator to be more mindful, surround yeah. you with a community of people who support you in that mission that are going yeah. to push you and cause you to think different. And then that whole collective gets better together. 
Yes. And you know what? You point out something, um, well, a couple of things. And let's see, we have these light bulbs going off and I love light bulbs because I'm a teacher and those just make me feel good. So if, if one of the things you just said when you say the collective and the community, right? The other thing about that is remembering that collectives and communities work when the people inside of there feel like me and look like me. Right. And so even if it's and, and that doesn't have to be just by race, it, it just cultures are sometimes built by the, the love of music. Right. So if we love the same music, we're probably going to be at the same concert. If we love the same style, we're probably going to shop at the same stores. So finding that thing that makes something common is how it's to me, it's almost the community spread, um, if you will, of good, because it makes it it makes it make sense when everybody's on the same page. And so and then that made me think about what you described with the work I do and working with corporates. And when I tell you that I care so much about changing the people inside because the people end up impacting the other people. And then those people and, you know, the whole community, which in, in corporate talk would be the whole corporation. Right. And then now the consumer is affected by what's happening on the inside of the, so you're, you're absolutely, I totally agree with you that it has to be this bigger thing of a collective effort. Um, I did an interview last week and we talked about the idea of joy and I, I threw out this big idea that I think joy is a collective responsibility um, along with all kinds. I think wellness is a collective responsibility. I think, I think health is a collective responsibility. Mental health <laughs> to me is a collective responsibility. So I, I think in terms of collectives, starting with the person, but like, okay, now who is this person connected to that can make this grow even bigger? Yeah, one of the one of the things that that you you've touched on a couple of times is this idea of being able to deviate away from what we'll just use the word normal, and obviously yeah. that's different for every person. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is when there is a systemic thing, whether that's in a corporation and yeah. the people running that corporation say this is how we do it. Yep. It's hard to deviate away from that because you're going to be looked down upon, even if you have the best thing. So you talked about a top-down approach. And when we do corporate wellness stuff, we always say, hey, we might be speaking to the analysts at this job, but mm-hmm. if, the corp- if the structure at the top isn't preaching wellness and you walk into the cafeteria and the CEO is eating a, you know, a double cheeseburger, then how are you supposed to say, oh, everybody else should be eating salads? And yep. so- we see that in the corporate environment. We obviously see that in our nation. Um, and with that, I want to ask, how did you then deviate away from your normal growing up to decide to go to college, to get into college, to start a business, to do yeah. that growing up across the street from a crack house? Yes. How did you do that? Like, can you even... Like, do you have a point where you were like, I am going to decide to break away from this? Because, you know, that is an extreme situation and you are now on an extreme other end of it. A like, there are path. people that grow up with privilege. <laughs> yeah. That it is hard for them to break away from getting a, breaking everyone. away from a normal job. Yeah. Everyone, yeah, yeah. Like everyone else. Everyone, yeah. Like, it's just like how, like your deviation Mm-hmm. You're so much greater than the average person that like, how, how did you do it? And like, when did you decide, can you like walk us through that? There might not be a moment, but yeah, you know, like just talk us through that because it's, it's incredible. 
Yeah, well, thank you. So that Instagram post you mentioned, that was the reason I wrote it because I realized that sometimes showing up on the social media, right? Um, rather, no matter what you look like, you, it, it could feel like you live from these degrees of privilege, let alone if you're white, right? Then it's really like, oh, you you must have had it easy. So I, I had to step back in that post and say, wait a minute, this was a conscious effort to be able to do different, to deviate, right? And so my deviation journey, if you will, we'll call it a deviation mm-hmm. journey. Heck, that's a good book right there. So <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, or, so this we'll devi- write the forward. Yeah. Right, there you go. Write the forward. I got the rest. Okay, so the deviation journey, I believe first off, deviants are like, it's an, it's this thing in you. Like it's, it's who you are. So you know rebels, right? There's always these people who are rebels. But I want to put a pin there and say, you don't have to have a rebel spirit to rebel against the norm. For me, I just always had a rebel spirit. Like everything didn't seem right for me. Even if it was right, I'm like, well, why do we do this? I've always been one to question what people consider norms. I'm talking about as far back as I can remember um, being a child. So there was a couple of things about my personality um, that just existed, which is interesting because emotional intelligence is a learned set of skills. It's skill set, right? Like you get to practice those things, but they become easier depending on the person who's given the tools to implement or to increase emotional intelligence. For myself as a child, I remember being the one to question everything, got in trouble for it often, um, to want to do nothing ever seemed um, the end or so detrimental for me. And I think it's because I saw so much. I learned to just be like, you know what, this can't be the end because remember the last time. Um, and so for people who live in, in in situations where it seems like one thing after another or after another continues to happen for myself, what I've always been like, well, if I got out of the last situation, then surely this situation is going to be there can end too. And then I've always thought, and then what do I do with it once it ends? So that was who I was as a child to just deviate from a norm. And then that turned into my survival uh, mechanism, if you will, was just to be like, no, I don't like it. I'm going to change it. So I tell people all the time, I felt like I lived a life where my hand was constantly dealt for me, like my cards were dealt to me. And I think I purposed as soon as I can buy my own damn deck of cards, I'm going to get my own deck of cards and I'm playing these cards the way I want to play them. And so early on, I started that. Now, here's the deal. We didn't have much. But again, remember, I told you I've always wanted more than I had. Right. So my first entrepreneurship mission before I even knew what entrepreneurship was, I had no clue what that word meant. Didn't know the word until I was probably uh, probably in college. But I was braiding hair and doing hair at 13. And I mean, I was making money. I paid for my own pager. It was pink. I'll remember. I never forget <laughs> that. I had my own house phone. And it's fun, funny here. No, no exaggeration. So my family calls me Tiki, right? T-I-K-I. I had a phone number. Remember, this is the girl from the hood. I had a phone number so people could call to make their hair appointments and then the boys could call too. It was like my area code was like 213-582-Tiki. 
And I would write that on paper proudly and people were like, yeah, right. That's not your phone number. I guess it is. My name's TV and my phone number. I just always wanted more for myself. And so that, that just kicked in. So I didn't know I was an entrepreneur there, but then my mom reminds me that I used to make like perfume using like the roses outside. We had like this rose bush and this mint tree because it was an older lady, my mother's godmother who owned our apartment building. So she kept it very pristine and very clean as well. My mother, like we used to polish plants with mayonnaise. So it's important too that I say that my mom kept like the cleanest of homes. She cared about our appearance. She used to say things like it takes the same amount of energy to wear to put on real pants as it does sweats. So I never left out of the house, like just looking any kind of way. Um, just because my mom didn't have much, she was a foster kid. So she took care of what she had and that included her kids. Right. And so we, we grew up just appreciating what we had one. And then, um, one team, I personally always wanted more. So that entrepreneurship thing was in there, but again, I didn't know it. And so I would make make what I call perfume and I would sell it to the little old ladies who lived upstairs. There was two of them that were, oh, it was three neighbors. Like, so it was five units. I'll never forget that, but two were old ladies. And then they would indulge me and buy this perfume for like 50 cents. Now, of course it was not perfume. It was like, I would empty out like hair bottles and put like water and then the mints and the roses and then tell them that it was perfume. All that to say that I just have always had it in me to want more. And then getting older, I became a teacher at 21. I started teaching. So I was an out, I was a school teacher before all of the entrepreneurship, because again, I didn't understand what entrepreneurship really was. Right. And so I ended up being a school teacher. Now, in order to escape the hood, you either now remember this is to escape it. So you either could be a part of it, which means just now this is my story. This is the way I see it. You could be a baby mama. You could, you know, um, um, sell drugs. You could be a part of that world, uh, be a drug dealer's girlfriend or, you know, just have kids or get like a regular job. And when I say a regular job, like, you know, work for the government, the county, a secretary, that kind of thing. Or you could go to school and choose from the list. So my friends and I, we call it the list. It's so that's going to be a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, you know, something from the list that they keep telling you about in school, right? Nobody ever told me that every page of a magazine was a job. I didn't know that. I was addicted to magazines. I used to buy the LA Times at age 14 and read the paper. I've just always been different. So, but no one told me that that journalism was a job. Like I had no clue. That wasn't on the list. It just wasn't on the list. I didn't know. So I chose teaching and I was a third grade teacher, fifth grade teacher and an algebra teacher for 10 plus years prior to having my daughter and then becoming an entrepreneur. So I've been an entrepreneur for 13 years now, but all that to say it was something in me. Now here's the point of this message. I think all of us have it in us. And that's what I said, that to survive. And then what we do with the survival tactics we have or the survival um, instincts we have as humans is what your life's going to turn out to be. Because the goal survival for some looks like, oh, God, if I could just stay safe and live another day. Right. But then survival for another is provide for my family. Right. Like. Even with what you guys doing, you didn't grow up, you know, needing or in, in bad situations. You still survived every day by just being happy. Right. Some people call it thriving. Right. And so that's our goal. Everyone has the same mission someplace in life. I don't care. I mean, someplace in life you have this mission to survive and to be. I say if we were to just be able to tap into that 
place and then decide what do I want to do? So remembering the time when I remember or uh, remembering the time when you said, okay, I want to be this, or I want to live like this, or I don't want to live like this. That's what I did for myself. That for me got me out of the things. It was like, I don't want this. Like, and, and, and again, remember when I said, I think I've been the same person forever. It's conscious living. It's literally being aware of who you are in real time. And that's the core of emotional intelligence is being aware of what's happening to you and around you. That's the, the emotions, the feelings that you're experiencing in real time. So I feel like my escape was to my, my deviation journey was to just say, hey, this is what's happening now. Either I like it or I don't. And if I don't, what am I willing to do about it? And those answers could be who you know, who you talk to, who you're willing to meet. Um, are you willing to go to school? I was willing. To, no, nobody told me I had to go to school, even though I was a straight A student. I was a, I was the good kid in the house, to be honest with you, it was three of us. And I was the good kid. No one said, and you should go to college. It was never, ever suggested to me by anyone in my life close to me. I just knew, hey. In order to do this, you have to do this. So I went to school and then I, I love learning. Again, I used to read the LA Times. So it turned into, okay, well, you got your bachelor's. What are you going to do now? Well, you're going to get a master's. What are you going to do now? Now you're going to get a certification. Oh, you don't want to work forever because you have children now and you want to be home. And so I've just always looked at what do I really want? What do I really want? And I believe all of us have the case. Now that what you really want has to be realistic. I mean, I get the whole lofty dreaming and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. But even if you have the biggest dreams of being the next Bezos, like you want to be you want to be the next billionaire, trillionaire, whatever comes after that. You have to remember now. Let's go backwards. You know, the backwards engine to backwards engineer like your plans. Right. So, OK, I want to be here. Realistically, how does that look? I say start from where you want to be. Work backwards. So you can still start with step 10, work back to nine, eight, seven, six. Now what's step one? And that's just always have been my process. It's just, it's even when I train companies, I tell them we have to decide what do we really want this place to look like? Now let's work backwards. And then once we work backwards, that becomes our plan. I think what's awesome about that is you have the context of the, the change that you've made now from start to finish. Mm-hmm. So that you can help somebody who has never thought to reverse engineer what yep. their future should be like or what they want it to be like. Yep. And I think the 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 interesting takeaway for most people that want to you know be Bezos overnight that that want to make immediate massive drastic change mm-hmm. is that it, it really is one decision at a time. Like for you, one that was decision. one no or one yes at a time. Yes. And the more aware you are of how those no's and yeses are adding up the better you can course correct, the faster you can go in the direction you want to go. And I think to your earlier point about walking slowly to your car, Mm -hmm. it's walking slowly in a direction you know you should be traveling rather than running really fast in the wrong direction. Hey, I I have this thing that I say when, you know, people say stay in your lane, right? And and that to me gets gets weird because it's like, well, what if I don't like this lane or what if I want to do more with the lane? And then it hit me one day um, that, Hey, I can stay in my lane, but I get to 
course it however I want. I can travel it however I want, whatever mode or means I want to do this journey, I can. So if I want to bike it, if I want to walk, if I want to run it, it's my lane. And so the way I travel that lane is up to me and who I take on as passengers on it, it's, that's also up to me. I think it's, I, I'm always talking about the people around you. I really think it's important that we, we always assess, okay, how am I going to travel and who am I taking with me? Yeah, I think those are, you know, we, we talk a lot about, you know, we talked, we've talked a lot about this throughout this entire episode. It's a, you know, we are a product of the people we spend time with and we have to choose who those people are. And one of the things we, we love to ask everybody that comes on our show, our our mission, our kind of overarching statement for live better is to have the best day ever every single day. Mm -hmm. I love it in the emails. (laughs) Yeah. What we mean by that more than anything is to create that, right? You have Mm -hmm. a choice of how you are going to respond or react to anything that happens to you. Mm -hmm. You've made this choice every day of your life to, to get to where you are, to get out of a circumstance to deal with the current climate of the world. And it's just like, you know, you talked about optimism Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, that's what it is. It's, you know, mm-hmm. being an eternal optimist by doing the work that needs to be done. And so we'd love to ask everybody if you could wake up tomorrow and you could do anything you want. There's no restrictions with quarantine. There's nothing. Mm-hmm. What does, uh, your best day ever look like? Oh, wow. So my best day ever is probably at the spa. (laughs) I enjoy a good massage. I enjoy uh, reading. So I would probably have a book there, hide away, make a crazy appointment. But I would also to be pinning ways that I could take people with me. Because like I told you, I believe that it's a collective responsibility. And I don't say that in this um, this mystical, like, yeah, it's our, it's, it's, it's our goal. It's our job to make sure other people feel just like us. I would release as much of my peace, if you will, because I believe that's what it is. Happiness is so overrated. But peace of mind while you're going through. So in that post I wrote, um, it's not about how hard life life is, is who I am while life is hard. Um, I would just get that message out to as many people as possible and probably give them a hug while doing it since we can. (laughs) But I would, that would just be my, that would be a great day is to know that somebody bought into the message that it really is a choice. And as, as we talked about that choice, by the way, is self-care. That's one of those things I mean by teaching the basics of wellness and self-care. Just being able to say, nope, before I respond, do I want to do this? Do I not? Do I say yes? Do I say no? That's self-care to me. Do I feel like answering this call? Do I? So if I could just live a day where I could get that message after or prior to, I mean, prior to or pre-massage, that's what I would do with that day. That sounds like a great day. We could all use a massage right now, for sure. Don't take away the massage, okay? (laughs) Where can can people find out about you? Where can businesses find out about what you do? Who are you working with right now? Are you taking on new people? Let, let, Let us hear what you're working on. Yeah. So my everything is Tikone John, T-I-E-K-O-N-E-J-O-N. So that's either dot com or at for LinkedIn and social media, the other social media platforms. And then the website is dot com. So again, T-I-E-K-O-N-E-J-O-N. What I'm working on right now, and I'm pretty excited, I am creating um, consumer facing 
education uh, for the everyday person. And so it really talks about well at work, being well at work. It's It talks, I, I have a series and it was prompted because I did a training with Gap Inc., and they had a wellness series and uh, it, it just really fed into this notion that I want to teach people how emotional intelligence is your free answer, <laughs> if you will. It's your free answer to actually wanting to train, to wanting to be better, to wanting to live life, to have that best day ever, you know? Um, and so I, I, I'm creating consumer facing products for the everyday person. So you don't have to be in a corporation, but we're trying to fix it right now that the jobs will reimburse if they sign up for a class or something mm-hmm. like that. But I'm just really excited about that part of the journey now. Great. Tico, thank you so much thank for you guys opening for up. It, it's so great to hear from you. And I think that just your what you are doing on a day-to-day basis is is insp- is not only inspiring but it's also like you said realistic and practical because you're doing it so yeah thank continue you to do what you're doing and uh continue to work on that Beyonce booty, like you said in that other. Yes, <laughs> yes, and my other one, right? I'm just trying to find one part of my body I can move like Beyonce. That That's what I should have put in that day too. And listen, <laughs> I want to know more about the retreat. So if you guys can shoot me some information, I'm really uh, intrigued by uh, the work that you guys are doing. And I don't say that lightly. I do a lot of interviews, um, but not everybody makes me feel like, oh yeah, you're, you're on the right path to some good. So I want to know more about the retreat. And if you guys could send that over, I'll be glad to see it. Sweet. Well, thank you so much. And uh, we just wish you have the best day ever. Thank you.